Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing this week, sir? It's good to see you. It's good to see you as well. Always great to see you. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. More importantly, how are you doing with your big move into your new house? We are almost done. And uh, by this time tomorrow, we will be in our new house and done completely. And so all that's really and left the to do is... the heater's working? The heater works. I, I was over there last <laughs> night. It works. Um, it's going to be now, cold. Does it work tomorrow? Great question. Um, I'm <laughs> very just concerned. It. I'm, I'm knocking on wood over here. That the pipe work was done well. Um, this will be a really good pilot run into that because uh, if you're in Oklahoma, you realize how cold it's about to get. And uh, yeah, I was I was joking with some people I work with. I feel really bad that I booked movers on this day, but I'll just tell you, I don't feel so bad to do it myself. So I got to figure out a way to, you know, I'll sweeten the pot for the movers, but I'm definitely not. I'm not standing out in the cold <laughs> with you. I'm sorry. I'm just not. So no, it'll be a good it. weekend, but I'm I'm more than ready. So thank you for asking. Yeah. And we keep thinking it's going to be light news on the football and basketball front. And it never is. And if it ever is, we definitely will hit some other sports, but we've got to talk football and basketball and we've got a bunch to get into. Yeah. Again. Well, let's, before we do that, let's take a quick break and hear a word from Charlie hustle. Charlie hustle is a vintage inspired clothing company based out of Kansas city that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan this season. So be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long with over 30 schools to choose from. They've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. So shop today at www.charliehustle.com and use our promo code 10, 12, 15, which is good for 15% off all non-sale items. Charlie hustle vintage made fresh and Dustin, Tomorrow is a day you're going to want to have that Charlie Hustle Oklahoma State bomber jacket handy. So uh, you you are well ahead of your time. I do love that jacket. It's it's light enough to wear when it's not super cold, and it has it's roomy enough to throw like a hoodie on underneath. Yeah, so you I like can that. you can really bundle up. That's that's the vibe for sure. All right, Cade, let's get into some of these notes. First one, I. I I think we had to put it first. Justin Blackman selected to the college football hall of fame class of 2024. He's one of 19 members of the newest class to be enshrined in the hall of fame located in Atlanta, Georgia. Shout out Atlanta, the birthplace of, of your very own Dustin Ragusa. The announcement was made. Is that why they the call National... it hot Atlanta? I didn't. I think so. Okay. I, I didn't so. know. I lived there for three weeks and then moved to Louisiana. Uh, the national football foundation and college Hall of Fame announced this live on ESPN as the lead up to the national championship game. Cade, I'm going to read off his stats. I know you know him, but in 2010, he was the FBS leader in receiving yards per game and receiving touchdowns and named the 2010 Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. 
He's the only two-time unanimous All-American selection in Oklahoma State history. He's a two-time Bolitnikoff Award winner. In 2010, 111 receptions for 1,782 yards and 20 touchdowns. In 2011, through that 2010 season, when you know everyone was keying on him and you know other receivers on the team or guys like Josh, our guy, Josh Cooper, no shot at Josh, but just saying, all the attention's on Blackman. He still had 122 catches for 1,522 yards and 18 touchdowns. He was the number five overall pick in the 2012 NFL draft. And Cade, to pause here for a minute, you look back at his first two years in the NFL, or his only two years, you can never call Justin Blackman a bust based on play. That first season, he had 840 receiving yards as a rookie. And then the next season in four games, he had over 400 yards, 100 yards per game receiving. So those are just kind of his, that's kind of his kind of pedigree of statistics, but no shock to me that he's basically like getting in first ballot pretty much. Yeah. I mean, he is, you know, uh, he's 30 for 30 material because you're exactly right. He was not a bust. He was frankly like on the trajectory to become one of the premier receivers in the NFL. I mean, he to this day is the best college football player I've seen with my own eyes. And, you know, I've said this before, but being an Oklahoma state fan in the big 12 with all the players that you've seen Vince young, you've got to see Adrian Peterson. I mean, some literal legends come through Stillwater. Justin Blackman really does stand alone in my mind because of what you just said. Everybody knew that he was the focus of the offense and he still was was absolutely dominant, unable to cover him and his ability in the open field. I've I've never seen a receiver be able to do what he does. And to me, he's the best college football wide receiver of all time. And until somebody else comes along and does what he's done, I, I think that it's him. And, um, you know, for me, Dustin, first ballot Hall of Fame selection is uh, more than deserved. Um, and I would expect at some point we see him, you know, potentially in the ring of honor. So, um, you know, glad to see, you know, some of the off the field stuff for him is, has cleaned up and, um, you know, it seems like he's doing well. And so uh, that's really all you can hope for for him. Yeah. And it, it really does seem like he's doing well. I know he was kind of not a recluse, but he wasn't, he didn't really want to go on the radio, want to be on podcast want to be honored for all this stuff because he's that's not the type of guy he is if you listen to anybody talk about him our guy justin southwell has mentioned how great of a guy he is how hard of a practice player he was not only just dominating on the field but always giving 110 percent at practice but now he started to you know he's been on the radio with robert allen a few times he was on uh the old poke show with clint shelf and dion amade and one of the things Cade, that he brought up that i know you and i have talked about and talked i'm sure many oklahoma state fans have talked about Blackman said that one of the things that gets brought up to him a lot when he meets people in person is they thought he was bigger because he played so much bigger on the field. And that's literally when you go watch his highlights, you're you, it still looks like he's huge. Yeah. He's not six one. And he said, he's like barely six one. It's It's kind of like a James Washington. Like he was similar. Like you wouldn't realize, I think he measures at five ten. I think that's right. He does not look 5'10 on the field. So I don't know what that is, but totally agree. Justin Blackman was just physically imposing. And I think, I really think his physicality is why he 
appeared so much bigger. I mean, his stiff arm in the open field, his ability to stop and start on a dime. I mean, again, uh, if if the you know idea of giving him the ball out of the backfield never crossed Oklahoma State's mind, that's a shame. But uh, he's just so good with the ball in his hand. He did. He had one. I, I think he had a reverse. Me, You're, he had a right. rushing TD right in 2010. I think he, I think he had one. He housed a reverse against Baylor. I do remember that. Yeah, for like six yards. It it's like I, I feel like I have like a bad memory, but if we're talking Justin Blackman, oh yeah, that's like <laughs> I mean I, I was fifteen. My my memory was so sharp back then. <laughs> so he's now one of eight representatives for Oklahoma State in the College Football Hall of Fame, along with Coach Lynn, Pappy Waldorf, our guy, another one of our guys, being the nineteen forty five feels like forty five podcast, Bob Finnamore, Barry Sanders, Thurman Thomas, Coach Jimmy Johnson. Leslie O'Neill, Terry Miller was recently inducted, and then now Justin Blackman in a pretty stacked class. You mentioned Blackman being one of the arguably best wide receivers in college football history. He goes into the Hall of Fame with guys like Larry Fitzgerald and Randy Moss. Yeah. And then along with that, you know, some other popular names, Tim Couch, Julius Peppers, Alex Smith, Danny Woodhead, Warwick Dunn, who obviously holds a special place in my heart because as a young a young boy in Baton Rouge, him being a Baton Rouge guy and kind of dominating at Florida State. And then for the Buccaneers, I still have my work done jersey that still fits. I grew a little bit, but for some reason it still fits. I think it was just a little big on me back then. But just I know we spent a long time, Cade, on Blackman into the Hall of Fame, but I thought we needed to. Yeah, no, I think it's more than worth it. Blackman is, you know, he's... I think he may be on the Mount Rushmore of, of Oklahoma State football players at, at the end of the day. Maybe of Oklahoma State athletes, athletes? honestly. I mean, I, you can I even may not argue that. that. Yeah. All right. Ollie Gordon, we'll, we'll be quick here. Just wanted to shout out our guy, Ollie Gordon, because he keeps racking up the awards. Ollie Gordon was the winner of the Earl Campbell Tyler Rose Award announced by the Tyler Chamber and Sport Tyler during a banquet in Tyler, Texas recently. This award recognizes the top offensive player in D1 football who also exhibits the enduring characteristics that define Earl Campbell. Candidates have to either be born in Texas, graduated from a Texas high school, or played at a Texas-based junior college or four-year D1 Texas college, Ollie being you know from Texas growing up and in high school. He's the first Oklahoma State player to win the award, which has been given out since 2013, Oklahoma State has had some finalists, though, in James Washington in 2017 and Tylen Wallace in 2018. And some notable guys that have won it since 2013, Max Duggan, J.K. Dobbins, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. Sorry to mention OU guys, but just wanted to throw out some of the more prominent names that have won this award. Pretty cool. Kind of a uh, like weird characteristic to define this award. Not really anybody can win it because you have to be from Texas, but still really cool when you mention some of the other names. Ollie Gordon finally beats Quinn Ewers. I, yes. I, I don't know if <laughs> I, he would be eligible for that award. Ollie Gordon gets the win, finally. He he does, yeah. Quinn definitely would because he graduated from a Texas yeah, high West, school. That West was Lake, right? I think. Something yeah. Like that. yeah. South Lake. South I think Lake. Is what Thank it was. You. Yeah. South Lake, yeah. Well, yeah. So really cool. Shout out to Ollie. He's going to continue winning awards, in my opinion. Okay, next. Quick this So I wanted to mention this and also kind of tie in the Nick Saban thing to this as well. Oklahoma State finished number 16th in the AP poll, which is awesome that they continue. And it seems like it's funny because a lot of times Oklahoma State, we've talked about it on here, that 
you could just chalk them up for like 15th in the AP poll every year, somewhere between 15th and 20th. And then they finish in that like 16th mark. So it just kind of backs that up. But I also wanted to mention ESPN, USA Today, CBS, Yahoo, PFF, 247, The Athletic have put out way too early top 25s for next year, which have Oklahoma State ranging from 12 to 23rd. So around that kind of 16 marker. And the way I wanted to tie this into the Saban thing, Cade, before I throw it back to you, is with Nick Saban retiring, longtime Alabama head coach, Mike Gundy is now in the top five in active wins by a coach, along with Mac Brown, Kirk France, Brian Kelly, and Dabo Swinney. And if you look at winning percentage, he's actually third out of that group. That's insane. And he's the last coach to beat an Alabama squad that was not coached by Nick Saban when Oklahoma State beat Alabama in the Independence Bowl in 2006. I don't even have a comment. I, I think all of that should stand on its own. And but fire if, him, you, if you heard that, you should rewind it. You should hear it again until it's until it's in your brain for good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just pretty. It's it's incredible. And I know I know people look at that list and be like, well, Kirk Ferentz is on there. He should probably be out at Iowa after they've just put on a disgusting display of offensive football oh, the past several my years. Gosh. But still, he's a longtime winning coach. Mac Brown is on there. Brian Kelly, Dabo Swinney. These are big name coaches that Mike Gundy is kind of tied yeah. in with. So it's yeah. just, it's just cool. I just, I know it was kind of random to tie that all into Oklahoma State finishing 16th in the AP poll, but I thought there were things that we should shout out for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Last note before we get to the kind of big news of the week: Trey Rucker announced he was returning. Coach Gundy said that on his last radio show that they recorded. So you and I talked about that on here. So coach Gundy kind of ruined Trey's announcement, <laughs> but I think it's awesome to have Trey back third on the team with a hundred tackles, four tackles for loss and interception. We know how he can operate as a kind of run alley fitting safety, hard hitter, sometimes maybe even so hard that he gets a penalty flag for it, but it's pretty awesome. My understanding is, you know, he originally came in as a walk-on. I think he's taking a scholarship spot now. I'm assuming he would be now that he's been with the team and it's like, hey, this guy's playing. We gotta give him a put him on scholarship. Yeah, I know actually, he originally came over from Wake as a walk-on. I had no clue about that. That's that's very interesting. You know, to me, it's like if he could slightly improve his cover ability, he's like He's of the Markel Martin type of safety that, you know, just a, a punishing hitter. But if he could improve this offseason just slightly in terms of his coverability, I think he will be a really important piece to the defense next year. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And we'll, we'll obviously get way into depth chart and everything like that. But just wanted to mention Trey coming back. So, Cade, the big news of the week Luckily, recording on Friday, so we caught it on this podcast. And before before I say what it is, I did not try to speak this into existence. When we got the question last week about which position coach you would let go if you had to, I think that was from our guy, Brandon Ramos. If, if I shouted that out incorrectly, my bad. I don't have that note up in front of me. But my answer was Greg Richmond which, you know, most people probably going with Charlie Dickey from remembering last year. But I said, you know, with the offensive line improvement, I think the worst position group on the team, and I believe you graded them the worst as well when we yeah, did our grades, yep. was the defensive line. The safeties were second worst, but defensive line, 
However, we know how talented of a recruiter is. We know how much the players like him. He's only 42 years old, played in the NFL. And guys, you know, always like coaches with NFL experience, just from w- what I've gathered, it's just kind of cool to, you know, have a coach that played in the NFL for the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, he is out, and Oklahoma State has hired Paul Randolph from Indiana, who's had over 25 years of coaching experience. Cade, what were your initial thoughts when you heard this? Well, it wasn't shocking. Um, I think what was maybe most surprising was just the way it happened. You didn't know that there was an impending change or if a change had already been made. So to just, you know, announce that that was done, uh, one, I think was the right way to do it. Um, Number two, I think that they went and got a really good higher like I think that they probably upgraded here and I think that was obviously the goal but I mean you look at his pedigree I mean he's he's done this for a long time at a pretty high level um it'll be interesting to see you know what the thesis was I haven't had enough time like literally this broke yesterday we've got jobs I have not had enough time to dig into Paul Randolph but hopefully by the time we get back next week I mean it seems like the the thesis is he probably understands this defensive front a little bit better. That that would be the way I would think that they made this hire. Yeah, and I, I think you're spot on with that. We heard some rumblings, you know, through Twitter, message boards, things like that, that Greg Richmond was going to be out during right after we recorded the podcast last week. We had no idea about Paul Randolph coming in. Luckily, this happened early enough yesterday where I could completely neglect my family last night and dive in to Paul Randolph. So Cade, we can get into it a little bit yeah. on the pod. We've got uh Ross at our lawyer, uh, two twelve said, what happened to Greg Richmond? Also, do you know much about the new DL coach, Paul Randolph? And then our buddy coach, Michael Dowdy at Mike underscore Dowdy with the new DL hire. Could you tell us about the new DLs, the new defensive line hires past coaching experience, since Richmond played as a DE and prim- primarily focused on DEs, does this hire more so focus on three-man fronts and this style of pre- play rather than traditional four-down defenses? So wanted to shout those guys out as we kind of dive in to Paul Randolph. And as Cade mentioned, we'll dive in more when both of us get a chance to kind of really get into the film. I'm hoping to do a Twitter thread on it. But as I said, he's from Indiana, 57 years old compared to Richmond, who was 42 Richmond, former Oklahoma State player, has been with the team for the past five seasons as an assistant coach. Folks report is reporting that Richmond was let go. I've seen some rumblings that maybe he's already got a next role, but we haven't seen any news on that yet. Randolph completed his second season as the D-line coach at Indiana, and as I mentioned, he has over 25 years of coaching experience, 22 years of coaching experience on the defensive line, Before Indiana, he was at Texas Tech. He's had various stops, including Rice, Tulsa, Pitt, Arizona State. In his one year off the field and all that time, he was the Associate Athletic Director for Life and Development at Arizona State. Four of his pupils have garnered all Big 12 honors in his stint with Texas Tech. Five Arizona State defensive linemen earned all Pac-12 honors in his four seasons in Tempe. His pit defense in 2011 was third in the nation in sacks per game with 3.31. He also coached defensive ends at Alabama back in the day. He started his career as a linebackers coach at his alma mater where he played linebacker at University of Tennessee Martin in 1998. One of his players in Indiana, James Head Jr., had this to say about Randolph. 
Coach Randolph, he's like a pass rush master. We're pass rushing every day, focusing on little things, little moves that I've been missing, making sure all our techniques is where it needs to be at. He's also, you know, focuses a ton on the run game as well. As I mentioned, he played linebacker at Tennessee Martin. He also played nine years in the CFL with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Montreal Alouettes. At Indiana, so I've seen a lot of people saying, hey, well, didn't Indiana run a 4-2-5 under Tom Allen? Yes, they did. And I think that's one of the reasons why Gundy hired him. Because if you look back through Randolph's coaching experience, he is tied. And he's also had some co-DC coordinator experience through his, through his tenure. He is tied, though, to Keith Patterson, who has been a defensive coordinator at Pitt, at Arizona State, Tulsa, and Texas Tech. All with Randolph there. And Keith Patterson runs a 3-4, that He actually has, he's got a DVD coaching clinic out about how to coach linebackers in the 3-3-5. It's called Linebacker Skill and Development for the 3-3-5. What Patterson's defense does is, you know, he's got his anchor points on the defensive line. He tells his line to stay put, read your keys without trying to fly upfield and make plays. We don't, quoting him saying we don't we don't move too much we will just stay put especially in short yardage situations we want to teach them how to line up and play gap controlled fundamental football we'll change our alignment but we don't like to slant and move a lot it becomes difficult to fit our run game responsibilities around them Cade this is the type of guy that I think you bring in who has a ton of experience both in the 335 the 34 and the 425 coaching defensive linemen to be versatile. I watched a coaching clinic last night on coach tube of coach Randolph and defensive line from last or from 2022. And the main focus, just as Patterson laid out in the quotes, I just read are defensive linemen winning double teams and allowing their linebackers to fly to the football, spilling the ball outside. They call it splatter instead of spill. I know I picked that up from his coaching clinic this is a guy you bring in who has all of that experience to coach the fundamental side of the football, who is still a good recruiter. Whereas from what we're gathering, Richmond was an awesome recruiter, but maybe just didn't have the experience in the three, three, five to coach it technique wise. And that's why you saw the defensive line kind of suffer to fight off double teams. I think this was actually a really, really good yeah. hire. Even though I love coach Greg Richmond, to have a guy with this type of experience who focuses on pass rushing from a three down front and from fighting through double teams is big time. In my opinion, I, I agree. And I, I, I like what you said about his recruiting acumen. I, I would even, you know, extend that into development and talent identification. So his tenure at Texas tech from 2018 to 2021, they've had a really good defensive line since then. And if you go back and look at some of the players that he was actively involved in a recruiting and B developing that would include Tyree Wilson, Jalen Hutchings, Rico Jeffers, Colin Schooler, both of those linebackers, but he would have had a hand in all of that. And so to me, Dustin, th that's a defensive line that I remember you and I looking at and saying, wow, that's, that's a very talented defensive line that he put together. And so for me, I, I I, I made a comment last week about, you know, the the talent level on the defensive line. You know, the cupboard seems a little bit dry or a little bit bare, in my opinion. 
I think he was brought in to do a lot of things, but I think it was to fix that. I mean, there's there's immediate need up front. And so I think his pedigree, as you said, um, speaks for itself. But again, I look at some of that recent tenure and being a former Big 12 guy, those guys should should stand out to you. You should remember those names. And, you know, Oklahoma State would love to have a Tyree Wilson and a Jalen Hudgens on the roster next year. Yeah, it's a great call out from the recruiting perspective. And, you know, I, I'm sure you, you guys are like, why do you keep talking about Keith Patterson? Because he's been linked to him and because he's been a co-DC with Patterson, this is kind of the scheme that Randolph is familiar with. And, and you know, like the just watching a little bit, I was able to go back and watch some Texas Tech from 2020. And then obviously I watched some Indiana, but just looking at the kind of Keith Patterson defense, you know, the nose guard, has that anchor point at what I talked about, the center space mask. His job is to kind of attack and neutralize the center on every snap. The ends anchor point is outside the V of the neck of the offensive tackles, and they gotta, they've got to read and react to the down, the base, and the reach and figure out kind of what the play is going to end up being and make sure Coach, Coach Randolph talked in that coaching clinic. It's a, it's a boxing match, but 1v2. Yeah. So you as the defensive lineman are going up against two offensive linemen on those double teams, and you better you better take out one of them. That's right. what he said. I I'm in that. a fight against two guys. I'm trying to take out one of them, even if the other guy's punching me in the stomach, punching me in the back of the head. So that's what he said. And this frees up your inside linebackers, at least one of them, to make a play because the and the offensive line can't. So so like they like to line up. Patterson like to line up in that four zero four, or some people call it the tight front. In those four eyes stop the offensive line from being able to kind of climb instantly to the second level because of their alignment. So if you also are fighting, then that just gives your linebackers like Nick Martin more time to make plays. I mean, just kind of a, a too long, didn't read version. This defense, Patterson's defense wants to clog up the inside running lanes, force the ball outside to your faster defenders and reduce conflict in read situations. And that's what I think Oklahoma state's defense wants to do and, you know, I mean, another cool thing, Cade, that I wanted to call out, they use that defensive end linebacker hybrid, and Patterson called it the Raider at Texas Tech. You don't really want to call that it, that at Oklahoma State, but maybe Randolph has some other cool names. You and I love the hybrid defensive player cool names. So that's, I wanted to finish it with that. I know I went kind of long on scheme, but I was able to dive in a little bit. And like I said, watch that coaching clinic and read up a little bit more on Keith Patterson than what I knew just kind of before I dug into it. And I'll continue to dive in and probably put some film up on it. But the way he talks about making sure his defensive linemen are versatile, that the three techniques can also play nose. The noses can also make three techniques play three techniques. I think that's what coach Gundy is looking for in a defensive line coach. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on fantastic breakdown there. And I'm sure we'll get, you know, deeper into Randolph as, as the off season goes on. I would, I would pitch spur for that hybrid position. You just mentioned Ooh, Spurs. I love that. I can't believe we haven't used that yet. Bronco. I mean, there's, there's so oh, many God. you can do, but I did want to say to Kate, I've seen some people mint before we wrap up Randolph. I had this one note. I just forgot to mention. I've seen some people, note that he's hopped around a lot. It looks to me like he followed Patterson around. And it's not just so much that Randolph was getting tossed to the side because he wasn't a very good coach. I mean, he was with Patterson at Tulsa from 2007 to 2010. 
Ben Patterson at Pitt in 2011, Arizona State from 2014 to 2015, and then Texas Tech from 2019 to 2021. So it's I don't think it's so much that Randolph was hopping around as so much that Patterson kept asking Randolph to come with him. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, I love love that tidbit, Dustin. Awesome. Well, Kate, should we hop into the portal? <laughs> I think we should. We should hop in and out quickly. <laughs> yeah. So not not a ton of huge news. Aside from the AJ Green commitment, which we'll get into, the dead period for all college athletes ended yesterday. So visits can start happening again for high school recruits for transfers. They obviously ended for the two and four year college transfers that were going to enroll mid year on the January third. That's why guys like Tyler Foster and other play Obi Azigbo got to come in and visit. I did want to note. January 15th is the deadline for underclassmen to announce for the NFL draft. I don't think Oklahoma State is going to see anybody there. We still haven't heard from Corey Black on what he's going to do. He's not an underclassman, so he doesn't have to abide by that January 15th date. But I did just want to mention that. The other thing I wanted to mention, Cade, is due to Oklahoma State bringing in transfers and having so many guys returning – that initially there were supposed to be 10 of the 18 high school recruits coming in in the spring. That number has shrunk to seven. But if Oklahoma State doesn't add anybody else out of the portal for the spring semester, which you know starts next Tuesday, they will have another spot open. Right now, the three guys that are no longer going to be enrolling in the spring for Robert Allen are Caleb Hackleman, Luke Webb, and Milwaukee Smith. If they're able to bring another one of the high school guys in, they don't bring another portal guy in for the spring. My assumption is Milwaukee Smith would be the high school guy that they let come in early. And I think it should be him. I don't think it's a huge issue if it's not him with Bowman, Floors, and Rangel coming back but it would be awesome to get him in and get him to start learning the offense. Totally agree that that's a bonus if you can get him to come in early, but love what you just said there. It's a bit of a jammed quarterback room at this point. Currently don't know what that looks like in April. Don't know what that looks like in August, but I agree with you. It would be great to get him in early, just like they've done both with Flores and Rangel. So. And another note for the guys coming back, getting ready for spring, Dalton Cooper and Jake Springfield have various injuries that they're going to continue to rehab. So they may not be full goats in the spring. And then Jason Brooks Jr. from his knee surgery that he had last season, which knocked him out, he's probably not going to be a full goat either in the spring. So we should see some younger offensive linemen getting some reps. That'll be interesting to watch kind of moving forward. And then... Out of the transfer portal, the guys that left Oklahoma State, some commitments that we've had since the last pod, talked about Gunder Gunny to Ohio, Blaine Green, Stephen F. Austin, Villami committed to Oklahoma Baptist, and he's actually going, he was a walk on at Oklahoma State. He's going to actually be on scholarship. Oh, wow. report is reporting. So that's cool. Shout out to Villami. Ladarius Webb has since decommitted from Tulane and committed to South Alabama. And then it hasn't been officially announced anywhere that I've seen, but Robert Allen is reporting that Nixon has committed to Sam Houston State. So 
all of that, I think, speaks to what you and I have talked about. Outside of DJ McKinney going to Colorado, that's a power five to power five. I think that's a loss. I do think that the destinations for some of these guys speaks to some of the, and I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, disrespectful here. I'm just saying, I think that Oklahoma state has retained key talent from last year's roster. Oh, I completely agree. I think it's a, I think it's a perfect point to make and definitely not a shot at those guys yeah, at all. At all. Just, you know, kind of a, why we think this team has a good shot at, you know, winning 10 games again next year. So yeah. Committing, Guys that were interested in Oklahoma State or reported interest or offers from Oklahoma State that have committed not to Oklahoma State since the last pod. Reginald Harden, the Benedict College receiver, he committed to Arkansas State. My understanding is it was kind of a mutual thing. I think he wanted maybe a little bit more playing time, and Oklahoma State wasn't able to kind of guarantee that for him. So he moved on to Arkansas State. Devin Manuel, the Arkansas tackle, has committed to Florida. Jalen hmm. Lucas, the running back receiver from Indiana, has committed to Florida State. Cornerback Marquise Robinson from South Alabama has committed to Arkansas. Defensive end Anton Junkaj has from Albany has committed to Arkansas. Defensive end TJ Jackson from Troy has committed to West Virginia. Safety Tegan Wilk from East Carolina has committed to Houston. And cornerback from Central Michigan Jarvarius Sims has committed to Arkansas State. A lot of Arkansas and Arkansas State. Yeah, no kidding. I'm trying to figure. I was trying to figure out how that happened, but. You know, I think the two guys that stand out on that one, Jalen Lucas, Devin Manuel, guys they had on campus. I I don't know of any others that were. Those are the guys, you know, ending up at Florida and Florida State. It's like, dang, you you would have really liked to have have that level of talent on your roster. But I think the Devin Manuel thing, Isaiah Glass, I'm I'm I gotta get that right. Um, but I think that, that that's related. So yeah, no, I completely agree. And then committing to OSU since the last pod, one note before we get into those guys, Tyler Foster, he was on Robert Allen's show doing an interview. He said he only has one year remaining. That was a little bit of confusion on my part, whether he had one or two years, because I thought he still had the COVID year, seen it reported different ways, different places, but he has one year remaining. I think trying to figure out eligibility in this climate is uh, you know, an impossible task. So thank you for trying. Yeah, if yeah, if you, I've seen some of our Twitter questions be about scholarship limits, it I have no idea because they will take guys right. off scholarship who are on their COVID year and put them on NIL deals to make up for that. Right. So I, I literally I don't have the inside info to have any idea on the scholarship count. I'm just basically going off what Robert Allen and Pokes Report report. Yep, I think that's smart. Awesome. So, Cade, real quick, Obi Azigbo, we've now talked about him on four podcasts because <laughs> he committed a long time ago and never verbally announced it. The Gannon defensive end, 6'3", 252 pounds. He's an all-conference guy, Gannon. I think, so he told Robert Allen he's going to play the Leo spot. So it, it makes me think they're going to initially use him as a pass rush guy and work him in as one of those defensive ends in the three, three stack. So maybe in more of a four man front, he comes out there. I'm hoping he's just kind of misinterpreting that and that he's going to maybe bulk up a little bit and try to play one of those anchor defensive ends. I don't want to stay on him too long. Cause like I said, we've talked about him four times, but any other thoughts on Exigbo? No, I, I, I think you nailed it. Um, he's an interesting guy. You know, can he, can he handle the physicality 
of this level, I think is going to be the biggest thing that I look for early, but an interesting prospect got long arms, um, you know, seems to be quick off the ball. So um, again, it's going to be the jump, just like you see with, you know, guys coming from that level. Yeah, for sure. And then the big kind of news from this week in the transfer portal, AJ Green, former Tulsa Union running back, former Arkansas running back. He entered the transfer portal on December 4th, committed to Tulsa on December 20th. He was actually, he's actually on their website in their signing class list with transfers and high school guys. Then he opened his recruitment back up on January 8th and committed to Oklahoma State on January 10th. You and I had seen some rumblings about this shortly after the podcast. We, I mean, they were just rumors to us. And then we see it official. He's 5'11", 205 pounds, played at Arkansas from 2021 to 2023. Also a kick return specialist along with a running back. Was their leading rusher last season, albeit on a bad Arkansas offense with a bad offensive line. But 67 carries for 312 yards. That's 4.7 yards per carry two TDs and one fumble also had six receptions on eight targets for 25 yards in a TD played in all 12 games, 190 offensive snaps out of a possible 822. That's 23%. That seems low, but no running back on the Arkansas roster played more than 31% of the total snaps. They basically rotated in four guys, three That's main crazy. ones. And then a fourth guy, like I said, he led all running backs in rushing. He had 414 yards rushing in 22 he had 227 yards rushing in 2021, primarily aligning out of the shotgun offset next to the QB, but did some pistol. They split him wide as the outside receiver and as the slot. He's done some single back sets out of under center looks. And he's also lined up in one of the games I watched as the Wildcat QB and took the snap and did a little zone read with KJ Jefferson. Cade, before I throw it back to you, his 100 meter time, his he, uh, his PR 100-meter time, 10.38, converts to a 4.33 yeah. 40-yard dash. And that is a faster 100-meter time than Jaden Nixon, who is a very fast man in, yeah. in his own right. I think that – I think I'm going to have to wait to see how much of an upgrade this is over you know, Jaden Nixon. I think top-line speed, athleticism, Jaden Nixon was through the roof. However, we, we're on record talking about some of his limitations as a runner – AJ Green seems to be a little bit more fluid. Um, I I think I think he, this he is looks. An he, and not to interrupt you, Cade, but the fluid thing is an awesome call out by you. I've seen some people say I was actually having a conversation the other day that you know one of their call outs was he looks a little slower than Nixon. I think he actually might be faster in the forty yard dash than Nixon, or in a hundred yard dash or hundred meter but he looks more fluid and that makes him look slower. It almost seems like he knows how to use his speed better. I mean, you you remember some of those delayed draws they'd hand to Jaden Nixon where he is so fast that he can't let, he doesn't do a good job of letting a block get set up for him. Oftentimes just kind of running into the third level of that defense without being, you know, quick enough laterally to make a move. I think AJ Green maybe knows how to use his speed a little bit better and so that fluidity, maybe a little bit better vision, I think probably sets him up to be a better contributor in this offense. And we saw Oklahoma State late in the season do exactly what I was hoping to see with a little more two-back two sets. 
This is a guy that I think could put a lot of stress on a defense in the same backfield as Ollie Gordon. Yeah, and Coach Gundy talks about all the time, they like to look in the portal to replace these guys that leave with a similar guy with this similar is, experience. This is, this is literally a very similar player, and I think an upgrade, and why I think it's an upgrade is because he, in my opinion, watching three full games and then his highlight tape that he put out, has more lateral agility. He's better start-stop, which you kind of alluded to using his speed better. I I counted four snaps where he ran a route and and had a target running a route as a wide receiver, which Jaden Nixon didn't have a lot of experience with that, which isn't his fault, just wasn't put in those situations. And then he also is a guy that can slot in right away for Nixon in the return game. And as a special teams player in general, because we know Nixon plays kickoff coverage, A.J. Green has reps playing kickoff coverage so it's almost a perfect match for a guy you lost who also i think is a slight upgrade you know i have him at in those games i watch 72 percent zone runs 28 percent gap but he has experience running duo gh counter gt counter power toss all plays at oklahoma state runs and he's a willing pass blocker so i i think this is a huge pickup. It's not, you know, Tyler Foster level for me, maybe not even Isaiah Glass level for me, but it is a perfect person to have now. If something, God forbid, were to happen to Ollie during the season, now you're not relying on a combination of redshirt freshman Ceci Valali, true freshman Rodney Fields, and true freshman Jaden Allen Hendricks. You have a four-year guy in AJ Green back there. Yeah, you Nailed it as usual. I, I I think that this is maybe to date their best portal pickup. I think Tyler Foster and AJ Green may be right neck and neck for me, but I think the impact here is big. I, I think that they need they really needed to upgrade that second running back spot. It was a critical role in the offense last year. Um, and I think they did that. So big big pickup yeah. for Oklahoma State. Other guys that Oklahoma State still has some interest in, just real quick, wide receiver Keyshawn Brown from Duquesne. He's on a UMass official visit. Sounds like Oklahoma State's probably not interested anymore there. Cornerback Laveria Wiley from Central Michigan. I haven't seen anything on this guy. It makes me think he might be returning. And then defensive end Reggie Grimes from Oklahoma. Robert Allen continues to beat the drum that he is not coming to Oklahoma State. I don't really know why. I think it would be good to add his depth in the room, but... Not a huge loss, I don't think, either way. Oklahoma State probably still needs to add defensive end. You could see him adding wide receiver, maybe linebacker, maybe another DB. They could add guys all over. I just, Cade, I don't think they have any room. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. That's the unfortunate thing. And I, the Reggie Grimes thing is weird, not to spend too much time on it, but we got, I kind of called this out a few weeks ago that his offer sheet was not exactly filling up. The Oklahoma State visit was a little strange. I don't know what his future looks like. Like, you know, there's some guys that go into the portal and and it doesn't work. I'm I'm hoping that's not the case for Grimes, but um, it is strange. I'm sure he'll end up somewhere, but I don't know where. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely an odd situation there. But Kate, I think that's all we got on the portal. Well, before we get into basketball quickly and some uh, listener questions, let's take a quick break and hear a word from Classic Overland. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. 
Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you. Go Pokes. All right, Dustin. You know, we talked about Mike Gundy being the uh, one of the winningest active coaches in college football. And uh, not to contrast that with what's going on with the basketball program, but as Mike Gundy's teams just figure out a way to win, it almost seems like the opposite for Oklahoma State basketball, finding ways to lose. We've looked at the Notre Dame game, St. Bonaventure, Southern Illinois, and now last weekend you lose to Baylor in overtime, a game in which you had a four-point lead with under a minute left. You foul a three-point shooter who makes it, ties the game. You lose that game in overtime. Would have been a massive, you know, not maybe not in terms of your March Madness chances, but just a a program resetter. It's like it's like a palate cleanser. But unfortunately, you lose that game. You go on the road to Tech. They blow your doors off. Now, Dustin, you're staring at a trip to Iowa State who just beat number two Houston in Ames. You've got Kansas coming to town. And then you go to Kansas State who has a loaded roster once again. So we talked about this last week. They're staring at an 0-5 conference start. I hate to be negative to start things off. They're trying. There's been some good come out of this. Brandon Garrison really looks like he's coming into his own. But this this ship is um is headed in a questionable direction early this year. Yeah, I mean, Ken Palm has them projected now to be 0-6 in Big 12 playing, get their first win January 27th against West Virginia. We talked about last week how Ken Palm had Five conference wins now projecting four. It's tough too because that Baylor game, you know, they're able to kind of slow Baylor down from three, which has been Baylor's bread and butter. And I mean, they missed some open shots too, but I do think Oklahoma State did a good job of defending. The problem is, Cade, they had to play Thompson 42 minutes, small 42, Williams 40, Garrison 38, and Daly 32. It you're at playing two true freshmen, these huge minutes, and then you're having to play your other guys 40-plus. I know it's a you know overtime game, but to even have a shot against these teams like Baylor, and I just think it's going to be tough as the season drags on to ask these guys to do that every single night. But, you know, that Baylor game, I thought it was one of the more fun games to watch from an OSU perspective this season. They had a shot to beat a good team. Yeah. Javon Small had 17. Bryce Thompson had 15. Garrison Eric had Daly, 20 and 8. Yeah, Eric, Eric Daly had the turnover late. That was really costly. But then you go into the Tech game, and it's it just, you know, they get out to a little bit of a lead, and then Texas Tech goes on a 19-2 run, and it just kind of stayed that way. 
even though John Michael Wright came in off the bench and had a good game, it's tough, like you mentioned, to see many wins on this schedule, but I still am optimistic they can get to that 5-6 range that we talked about. Well, we have a question from Corbett Klein, at Corbett Klein, says how much of OSU's problems are coaching and how much of it was missing in recruiting or the transfer portal. We seem to be the only Big 12 team that doesn't reload every year and put out a consistent product. The reason I bring it up right now is because I, I think that, I mean, I said this a few weeks ago, but Mike Boynton taking so many freshmen in this class was a bold, bold, bold move. And really, you and I thought he was going to go to the portal hard. I did too. I think most people thought reasonably that would be the the way you, I mean, you have to win this year. And I don't know what the thought process is there, but you've got a roster full of young talent, but they are young and you have to be experienced in this league. I mean, look at like, look at like programs like Houston. How long's Jamal Shedd been there? I mean, look at Baylor. They, they've got mainstays and what i do think baylor does differently is i do think they may have a little bit better of a coach that understands what's going on in that regard so um you know that i hate to get so negative but i just this doesn't look good and i don't know how it changes because you know just like many of the years before this you're going to have to start stealing wins, and uh, I, I hope the season's not over b- before it gets started. Yeah, and I think, Kate, that was a great move by you to kind of get into the questions because our first couple are on basketball. So baseball, Phil, at baseball underscore Phil, which is more likely, Newman's basketball coach in the 2024-2025 season or keep Mike Boynton for one more year since the team is so young this season? I think it's probably more likely that you, I think it's more likely that they don't make a move. Just looking at the buyout, looking at the roster, I do think it's more likely that they don't make a move, but that's not to say that there's no likelihood of a move being made. I mean, if you've seen Gallagher Iva Arena lately, it is worse than it was at the end of Travis Ford's tenure and empty seats will force, force somebody's hand, but COVID is a variable here. It it really hurt athletic departments across the country, and they're still rebounding revenue wise, and and being able to afford a ten million dollar buyout right now, which is basically what you'd be looking at for the entire you know situation. I I don't know if that's doable. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it's probably more likely that they keep him around as well, but I. I would have to think that next season is kind of like if you don't make the tournament again, I that would think be it's one out of seven. End. Yeah, I and and it sucks because you and I both like Coach Boynton a lot. I love Brandon Garrison; he's literally so fun to watch. I love watching this basketball team. It's just I, they're just they're not very good right now. It's I just, do, I, I think the indicator for me that they are that they may have a, a bit of a coaching issue is they don't, they don't win close games. They just don't. I mean, this has been back since the beginning of this, they don't win close games. And oftentimes there is a critical error that happens and it just, I don't know how you get around that, but anyway, Dustin, I'm done talking about it. Well, now that we're in questions, I know we've already hit four so far. We hit the two earlier about the defense coordinator. We'll hit a few more before we wrap up. We've got two that are kind of in the same 
arena, uh, same category. Garth still at Garth underscore still says, what positions of the football staff need to hit in the portal or will it get, or will the staff get before the spring? Chris Jane, Chris Jane 37 says, are there any names or rumblings about who we can bring in through the portal on the defensive side? Kate, I'm just going off again. I'm going off of what Pokes report and what Robert Allen are reporting. These are great questions. I have the same questions. But if they're telling high school kids that were supposed to enroll early that they now can't, I truly think they only have like one spot left. And I I bet they would probably use it for another defensive guy, either defensive end or defensive back, maybe a wide receiver. But I, I think those are probably the areas that I think that they would target. But I don't think they're going to bring anybody in for the spring until they lose somebody else in the spring, if that's going to happen. I just, with all the guys coming back, I truly don't know if there's any room. Yeah, just when you look at the numbers, it's it 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 seems tight. Like, I don't know how, without somebody exiting, that you do that, which in this day and age, like, an exit is is imminent. So, right. um, but I to your point, I, I totally agree. Uh, we've got our guy, John Laxative, at South Stool 007. Oh. He says, you, you, can't, you can't come in with a listener question with a handle like that and make Dustin he's say asked, that. He's asked one before. Has he really? <laughs> and you've read it out loud? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I've got an either or, if that's okay, fellas. Do we see Kale Gundy appear on the staff in some capacity, co-OC analyst, or what kind of defensive position shakeups are likely to happen? Well, they just, <laughs> I mean, some position shakeups happened, coaching position shakeups with Randolph coming in. And then also we've got Ryan at Ryan three zero five, five, four, one, two, nine said, what are the chances Rucker Daniels moves to Benson's linebacker spots? Kind of along with John's question about the defensive position shakeups. Kate on the first question, Kale Gundy. I think I could definitely see him coming in as an analyst. I don't listen to the Oklahoma local radio very much. So I don't listen to Kale Gundy talk a lot. I don't know anything about if he's interested or not. I highly doubt it would be an on-field position, though, like co-OC or something, because you'd have to kick one of the current on-field guys off because they're at the limit. He seems pretty happy on the radio. I mean, I do, I do listen to local radio, not not a lot, but enough to hear, you know, Kale Gundy in his in his role. And I actually, he's pretty good. So um, I don't know what that salary looks like versus an analyst position, but. Um, I, I totally agree with you. I don't see a future with him on the field at Oklahoma State, whether he, much like a, you know, a Gary Patterson early on at Texas was an analyst. I, I could see something like that, but I would lean towards I don't see him at Oklahoma State, you know, yeah. really ever. I, and on the position shakeups and the Benson Benson's linebacker spot, personally, I've talked about this on here. I, I would love to see... Oliver stay at the will. Justin Wright come in at the mic where Nick Martin played and Nick Martin moved to the strong side, Sam linebacker in Benson's spot over moving Daniels or Rucker into Benson's spot. Because I think having Wright, who's a little bit bigger, more typical size yeah. of a middle linebacker in there, as you know, I talked about it when we we're talking about Randolph. So he's the one linebacker that takes on the offensive lineman who gets free off the double team. And then you have Nick Martin and Colin Oliver freed up to try to make some tackles on the outside. 
and it gives Nick Martin a chance to be that field strong side Sam linebacker and use his speed to cover more ground over there, which we even saw Benson, who's a pretty fast guy in his own right, struggle a little bit with. I think Martin has better stop start, kind of more twitchy in that spot. However, I do think, I mean, you could see a Daniels move down there. I think Rucker may be a little bit too small to play that spot, but I think you could see a Daniels move in there. I I personally, over them moving to linebacker, I think you would just maybe move Daniels to the boundary safety and him and Rucker maybe split reps there or Rucker even move to Rover. But I, I think it'll be more of Daniels and Rucker maybe moving their safety spots around and getting another cover guy at the mm. field safety spot and maybe a, another more versatile guy at the Rover than one of those guys moving down to linebacker. Yeah. But I definitely could see it happen. Yeah, I, I could too. I mean, Daniels has always been a tweener. We've we've talked about this before. I don't think Rucker is the 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 candidate for that. I think it would be more likely to see Daniels, but I think it's less likely that it's Kendall Daniels than anybody else. So um, I, I I love the breakdown there, Dustin. And thank you, as always, to our listeners for sending in so many questions. I think Dustin and I agree that this week we got more questions than I think we've ever seen. So thank yeah, you for like doing 23 that. 23 total. Thank if you we went through all of that, we wouldn't get through anything else. So we appreciate you all continuing uh, to be part of this show. And uh, we encourage you to continue to do so. Dustin, any final thoughts from you before we sign off? No, just thanks to the listeners so much for sending in the questions. Like Kate said, we really appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening during the off season. I mean, if if news ever slows down, we'll do a mailbag pod. At some point, we're going to dive through the spring depth chart with Adam Lunt. Yep. So a lot of fun stuff still to come. Yeah, no question. Dustin, appreciate you as always. If you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at feelslike45pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu. And you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Stay warm and go Pokes.